Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. It is Colorado week, a little bit different than last week with Oregon week, but uh, 6 o'clock kickoff at Husky Stadium, and the game is on the Pac-12. Is it on Pac-12 Network or Pac-12 Washington? It just says Pac-12 Network. Pac-12 Network, so uh, we'll talk more about that on Saturday when we do our pregame show. But, you know, just a lot of conversations that we had to have got to have with Coach DeBoer, the players, the coaches, and still a lot of focus on that Oregon win, how big it was, how important it was, and a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff, and had a chance to talk to Coach DeBoer on Monday, and uh, you know, I'll tell you one thing, he's the same guy all the time. He doesn't change, does he? No, he, he had kind of turned his focus toward Colorado. I mean, he was enjoying the win, although when we were walking up after doing uh, interviews today, uh, he we were walking up and he they were playing the highlights for all of the yeah it looked like staffs. they had like an all department yeah, meeting, meeting going on and he was standing in the doorway just grinning ear to ear so you can tell that that they they they're savoring this one but they they also know Colorado if Washington loses their focus Colorado can snap up and beat them so that you got to win this game it's like what happened with the Michigan State win. I said it afterwards when they played Stanford. You go out and you lay an egg against Stanford, it takes away all the goodwill of that Michigan State win. You cannot follow up a game like they just played and lose to a team like Colorado. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that came out of Monday was they lost Devon Banks for the year. You know, they're already thin losing uh, losing uh, Julius Irvin for the year, and now they've lost Javon um, Banks. Banks for the year. Um, Devon. 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 Uh, Jordan Perryman, um, he's not 100% healthy. No, it hasn't been since the first game of the season. You know, he's out there with the injuries he's dealing with and got his hand all banged up again uh, against Oregon. So I think that was the, the biggest thing to come out of that where they're going to be a little, still be a little bit shorthanded back in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, talking to the players and coaches this week, I mean, there's no doubt that Everyone saw it against Oregon that they had to bring in a, a true freshman. J.B. on Green had to show up, and he got burned by uh, Troy Franklin on the one bomb, but came back and showed a lot of confidence to, to stick with the task and, and eventually finish it out. Um, Elijah Jackson played some snaps in that game. Um, we can talk a little bit later. I talked to uh, Juice Brown kind of a little bit about that scenario and, and kind of what he was asking those guys to do. and. You know, yeah, they gave up, what was it, 592 total yards of offense to Oregon, but at the end, 
the bend but don't break defense held, and uh, they were able to come come away with the W. So that was that was really really huge, and um, clearly that they're banged up on that defensive end. The fact the fact that they were able to, you know, basically not have uh, consecutive starting secondaries until the Oregon State game, and yet our eight and two is pretty remarkable on its own, and it kind of shows you the resiliency of the, of this particular team and just how they kind of continue to to grit and scrap their way through a lot of lot of adversity yeah and talking to coach DeBoer he got an idea of what the rivalry means um well, this is a completely new coaching staff other than um uh, Scott Huff uh, but there's still a lot of staff members within the staff that are used to the rivalry Aaron Knotts Justin Glenn the trainers uh, the equipment mm-hmm. guys are all familiar with it but you know he seemed pretty pleased with you know Peyton Henry and fully understands that so um, yeah it, so um, but again after the after the game there were so many things that were just kind of screwy. They didn't make it easy for the media at all. And we only got uh, Coach DeBoer for a short time after the game because the media room, which wasn't a media room, it was a media tent out in the elements, out in the concourse with a couple of hanging, hanging lights, they got turned off about two minutes in. <laughs> so. Yeah, but we've done – I mean, I've been down there before post-game at Autzen, and it's a, it's a free-for-all. It always has been. And so it's, it is what it is. But um, – the only difference is, is that typically we haven't been down there with that kind of scene, that kind of environment. Usually it's more like these guys don't want to be around. They don't want to be talking to the media. They just want to get in the locker room, get dressed, go to the plane, get home, and, and, and just worry about the next game. But in this particular one, um, I think the win probably made things a lot better. So other, other than the uh, 2016 game that they won, would would we have to go back to an, the craziest scene was after Washington Reggie Williams went off that one day in what 20, 20, 2001? Yeah, yeah. When when he went off, so but, yeah. But the thing of it is, the difference between that game and um, the one the win in two thousand sixteen and this win is when Reggie went off. Oregon wasn't a good team. Mm-hmm. When uh, the seventy to twenty one game, Oregon wasn't a very good team. They wound up that year at four and eight. This game, Oregon had a twenty three game home winning streak. They were ranked number six in the country, and there was a lot of talk about they had them won getting eight in straight games. Too, yeah, a yeah. lot of talk about them being in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So this game um, sucked the air out of the stadium. It sucked the soul out of the players. It, it sucked a lot of stuff out of that. Yeah, well, and the three of us picked. Oregon to win the game. I picked it by Oregon by 19. I feel yeah, really stupid about that. Your season predictions looking it, better. You know what? You know what? Uh, if if I have to pick Colorado this week to guarantee a win and Wazoo to pick to guarantee a win, that's what our that's what the fan base wants me to do. If any so. of if any of the Dogman people actually pick Colorado in this game, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna raise some hell. Uh, uh, I just I, how is that even possible? Well I don't think Washington's gonna win by thirty one. No, I don't either. Yeah. I, I would take the uh, I would take Colorado in the points if I was a betting man. But. Yeah. But anything else jump out to you from uh, Coach DeBoer on Monday? No, I mean you talked about the even keel and I mean that's just something that we've gotten used to over the course of the year and we have to remember, yeah, it's not the same thing at all, but he has won national championships before. He has been in big big environments, you know, he's been a coach in the Big 10. Um, you know, so he's been in some big game environments. I clearly I don't think he's probably ever coached in something quite like that. 
Um, but that said, every time when you watch the, the TV tape of the game, every time you kind of went to him and kind of were looking for a reaction or something, it's just like him and Penix were the same. It's just, it's almost like they didn't have a pulse. I mean, they weren't jumping around. I mean, even on the final play, when the ball hits the turf and all the, the, the guys in purple spill out into the field, he's just kind of he's just kind of like, okay, all right, we, we did it, great. Even when Peyton Henry kicked a field goal, it was like a, a little clap. He's like, all right, good, let's go. And so it was um, it was pretty remarkable because you would think, as invested as those coaches are in that kind of a result, for him to have, I would assume, either the foresight or the discipline to just kind of understand that this can change literally on a dime. Like when Penix throws the pick, sudden change play, all of a sudden everything changes. It's like for him to have that, that kind of mentality and that discipline is pretty, pretty incredible. Well, he's got a couple of hype guys on the staff, so he can afford to be kind of the low-key guy. You know, Jamarcus Shepard and, uh, uh, you know, William Inge, you know, they get pretty wound up. Yeah, I don't know. I know you you spoke to Coach Inge this week. Yeah. I'd be curious to see if – did you ask him at all about what he said to Bo Nix? Because he talked to Bo Nix after the I game. I did not. I wish I would have. Yeah. yeah, he talked to Bo Nix after the game. Yeah. He had a little heart-to-heart with him. It looked like right on the field. But it, it looked like it was more encouraging, like, hey, keep oh, no, your head yeah, up. Oh, no, yeah, for sure. Keep your head up. This – Well, I, I've never heard William Inge say a negative thing in his life. Me either. So I would imagine that was full of praise for – for what Bo did, and and got them right to the right to the edge, and to keep keep going. Yeah, yeah we talked. I, talk, I had a chance to talk to Jackson Kirkland on Tuesday, and he kind of agreed with me. Glad that they don't do drug testing because myself and everybody else would have tested positive for weed if they would have te- drug tested us on Sunday. Uh, you know, with as much down there, and I've made the comment a couple of times. I haven't been exposed to that much weed since I went to see Ted Nugent Cheap Trick and ACDC in the Coliseum back in 1979. But you know, the atmosphere down in Austin, maybe. The, maybe the weed that they're smoking down there has something to do with you know how why it's not as rowdy. It's still a loud atmosphere down there. It's it a is, great conspiracy theory. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's still loud down there. They still do a great day on on uh, game day. But I think that um, that crowd down there is getting a little bit. I don't know if entitled is the right word, but I think they're getting used to winning. I, I think I think it's the corporatization of things down there. Um, you have the luxury boxes. No normal person no normal working class person can afford those things and um i think i think the ticket prices going up keeps some of the the maybe more rowdy hooligans um out and and you know there there are students the students were doing the thing i'll tell you what i don't was it between the third and fourth quarter like they do it um wisconsin with the jump around they they did the Shout, uh, shout yeah. uh, from that. from Animal House, yeah. and uh, that looked kind of fun. I mean, it, it looked kind yeah, of cool. I've never seen them years. do that. I've never seen that one. Well, my my theory on that is is that you know a lot of people can trace back Washington's origins to when they took that next step. Obviously, with Don James and the seventy seven seventy eight season with the Rose Bowl. I think if you go back and look at the pick in ninety four with Oregon, that kind of was a sea change for them with Rich Brooks turned things around going to the Rose Bowl and then Mike Bellotti took it to another level, Chip Kelly took it to an even higher level. And Phil and now, Knight got involved in that time. Right. And now because now what is that, ninety four to today, that's what, almost twenty twenty years. years, almost thirty years, three three decades. That fan base in Oregon that started out that way, they're getting older. Just like the Don James era fan base is getting older. 
And, and so I think that's where you start to see maybe a changing of the guard or what have you. But it doesn't surprise me that things have maybe toned down maybe a little bit just because, again, them getting older a little bit. Also, like you said, Kim, the fact that there's an expectation now, yeah. so it's not nearly as big of a deal for them. They kind of understand that that's where they should be. So I think there's a few things in play. And then in addition, it's at the end of the day, it's still a bowl. They've mm-hmm. got a little bit of an overhang. The noise goes straight up. And I am not saying it's not loud there. It is. It's just when you compare it to where it was maybe 10 years ago or 12 years ago, it, it's not as raucous as an atmosphere. And make no mistake, it's still raucous. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I said, I think all the weed well, has something to do with, with, with it. My, with my tin hat still on, I would say... Don't we remember a time when they used to pipe noise in? Well, there's a difference, and you, I want to be real clear on this because Cal did it too. It's they didn't pipe in noise; they amplified the crowd mics, and it was played through the loudspeakers back in the day. And I know it makes people crazy, but isn't that just a different way of pumping in yeah. noise? Well, pumping in artificial noise is one thing, but they're just. But it is, in a, in a sense, in it a is way, artificial. They're, they're artificializing yeah, it. Yes. They're, they're yeah. creating an artificial environment. And we're talking, you know, 15, 20 years ago that that was happening. And I know it makes the Oregon fans crazy. I'm probably going to get hate emails. Don't you anyway? Oh, no. Uh, we, no, we, we only get hate emails when we talk about the fake injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and by the way, on that, uh, I got a... I don't know if you guys saw this. I got a text from our Cal guy, right? And uh, they did. He says that they Cal, Oregon did the fake injury thing um, at the end of the half when they didn't have any timeouts. They did that as well mm-hmm. against Cal. Mm-hmm. And um, Washington fans had no problem when Tosh did it against Oregon when Tosh was here. But you know, it's just connect the dots. Yeah. Well, I think that, but but also there. There were specific rules that were put in place after what Chip Kelly... Chip Kelly kind of revolutionized that whole thing to the point where the NCAA felt compelled to change rules because of what Oregon was doing, because it was so new and it was so original. But we're, what, eight, nine years past that now? Almost ten years past that? I mean, it's pretty well established what you can and can't do, and clearly what Oregon did, you can't do. Well, a couple but of, they got away with it anyway. A couple of things that they were doing, and I don't, I don't know the rule. I should know the rule, but when you, offense brings in new players, the defense can also have time to substitute. Oregon, a couple of times, was dreadfully slow dreadfully slow bringing their defense out on the fields to Oregon State did that the week before too yeah to kind of limit I don't know I mean if you've got 15 seconds on the clock and you're sitting there waiting for the defensive players can you get called for a delay again yes you do yeah so um, Oregon was dreadfully slow on a couple of those not in order to they'll probably have to do something about that because it just makes it so that the offense can't make their reads and gives them well think about this though if you're the defense if the offense is going to run hurry up and the offense is going to sub you have to be able to put your package in. Well, what if you don't have a package ready to go? Then you got to, hey, the number one package, whatever they call it, a nickel package needs to go in. Well, if those guys weren't just standing right there ready to go, they're not going to go. So they got They have to allow the defense the time. So if the offense is going to make their their substitutions, you got to make it at, what is it a 35-second or 45-second clock? 35-second? 40-second clock. 40-second clock. You got to make those right away if you don't want them to lag. Yeah, I would also say too, um, 
you know, DeBoer, they, there was a comment that was made when DeBoer, they, when they saw the onside kick, DeBoer realized that some guys were wearing some different numbers mm-hmm. and how that affected what they saw or what they were expecting. This is the level of detail that these guys go into. And, Kim, you saw it with, with the screens that they were using when they were putting in their plays. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're clearly, because there is a 3D chess element to all of this. Mm-hmm. And the fact that these guys are looking at it at such an intricate level and such a high level of analysis and detail that when they see little things like that, like you're talking about, like the, they've got to be ready for that because they've broken down. They've seen it in games, like when uh, when they did it at Cal. Apparently, you know, this these are things that the maybe the assistants notice or the GAs notice or the you know the quality the the quality control guys. Some of those, all those guys are in there looking at that stuff to break it down to the most minute detail that they can find. And in the end, those kinds of things help you win games. Well, the other thing that was kind of unusual, too, is um, on the fourth down where they looked like they were going to fake the sneak and trying to get him to drop off, to fall off sides, and then Bo Nix eventually did snap the football. But I was listening to the Oregon broadcast, and in the middle of that, while the clock was winding down, he said, uh, and Oregon coaches are trying to call a timeout. It looks like they maybe were faking calling a timeout as well. I didn't see that. Yeah. I didn't see that either. But, I mean, I, can, I know what they were trying to do because they were trying to get Washington to fall asleep. Yeah. They were trying to get them to just kind of relax a little bit and then try to take it at the end. And so doing it at the very end is one way to do it. That being said, I didn't see anything that in Washington's front that told me that they were Lax, lax no. at all, or, or or slipping, and so that's what made the decision well, by Knicks even more interesting. You know what? Rem- it reminded me of the uh, I can't remember what game it was. It, it might have been the Kent State game, but where Mike Penix comes up under center yeah. and it looks like he's trying to draw him off, and then all of a sudden they snap it and he goes yeah. for a first down. It looked exactly like the same thing. It was definitely one of the early non-conference games. Yeah. yeah. I also, had a chance yesterday to, um, to talk to Eddie Ulafoscio. And a lot of people, and we talked to Coach Inge about this as well, a lot of people are saying on that fourth down play that the running back slipped. Well, the running backs tried to stop because Eddie blew it up. Yeah. He, and, he, if he, and if he, he shot the gap. Even if he hadn't slipped, Washington was going to stop him. Yeah, he was going to get tackled. Yeah. So you can't really put that on the running back. Um, it wasn't really a slip as, a, as much. I don't know if you can call it a slip. but Well, it was know, a slip. Well, I mean, he, he he slipped because he was yeah. gonna he was trying he was trying to, to change direction. It was it was a it was a pre-action. Yeah, it was a pre-action because he saw Ulafoshio come between the tackle and guard. He was fitting that was that B gap mm-hmm. whatever that is. He was he was he 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 shot it. He was halfway into the backfield by the time the guy was on the ground. So there's no doubt that unless unless he's able to spin out of it or unless Eddie completely whiffs on it, which just isn't him at all. Yeah, but that had happened many times in that game. It had happened many times in that game, but not necessarily yeah. in that kind of a of a well. They had pile so, up. They had so many guys that were going to be around the ball. Even if Eddie did miss, somebody yeah. else was going to get him. Yeah. Who, who did you talk to on Tuesday, Chris? Oh boy, I talked to Alex Cook for a long time. I think he was maybe. Oh, and I talked to Henry Bainavalu. Yeah. Um, the most interesting thing I got out of um, AC was that. Uh, the thought that because of the way that they played, and yes, the defense gave up almost 600 yards. It's weird to almost even think of the numbers that they put out and yet were able to come away with a win. But he said just as a team, the way they were able to, to win that way gave them the kind of confidence to think what, what could have been if they had won at UCLA or, or Arizona State. 
and that he, he literally brought up the idea of, of we should be 10 and 0. And I was like that I didn't think I didn't think I was going to hear that from any of those guys. Um, but he he said it flat out and I said, you know, do you think that you would have still won in Oregon if you would have been undefeated going into that game? And he goes, that's just something we'll never know. He goes, but there is something to the idea that if if we had gone through the disappointment and gone through the, the losses at UCLA and Arizona State, that maybe we wouldn't have been prepared to deal with the way that we needed to deal with things at Oregon. Um, it could have been a very different game. Or or maybe Oregon sees a 9-0 Husky team coming into their stadium. Who's actually higher ranked than Oregon. Who's higher ranked than Oregon at yeah. that point. And maybe Oregon says, we're going to beat these guys, and maybe they're more juiced up to, to get a win. Yeah, I don't Kim, know. you talked about that environment and how it's maybe not quite the same as it's it used to be. Still good. Still good. Maybe it rises to the level of, uh, you know, like maybe a Michigan-Ohio State type game when those guys are top five in the country. It I could know. be I, that kind of level I of think game. It, I think an underdog crowd is more volatile than a favorite crowd. Yeah. And maybe and they, they would have been. been. They would have been. They would have been an underdog yeah. crowd. Make no yeah. mistake about yeah. it. Also, just, Washington would have been top five. Just real quick with the um, what was it? Five hundred and ninety-eight yards that Washington gave up. Five ninety-two. Five ninety-two uh, was the most yards that Washington had given up in a victory uh, since nineteen ninety-eight to an Oregon State team led by Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, Smith back yeah. in the day. So when Jonathan came in and tore them up. But, um, you know, what, uh, Henry, you had a long conversation with Henry Bainavall. Yeah, I talked to Henry a lot because, obviously, it's senior day. This this week is going to be the, his last game, along with Cook. When we're talking to both the seniors, it was good to get their perspective on things. Um, and he just talked about the idea of coming in with guys like Jackson Kirkland and then later, like, Corey Luciano coming in and, and being able to play with, with a couple of other seniors, a couple of other graduates, and how that's been really, really important to him, the idea of coming back. And how maybe, you know, this time last year, I don't think he necessarily thought that he'd be coming back for another year and how that's turned into be a real godsend for him and how it's turned out to be better than he could have imagined. And just the idea of of playing uh, Colorado and just really finishing this thing off at Husky Stadium the way he needs to in order to make sure. Because, you know, this whole thing, Kim, they talked at the Oregon thing. And you saw it on their hype video afterwards. You know, DeBoer's talking about it. He goes, guys, these are games that you're going to be talking about 10, 20, 30 years from now. Well, as big as that Oregon game was, they're still going to be talking about that the senior day game coming up this weekend 10, 20 years, 30 years from now. And that's going to be a, a situation where Henry Bainavalli wants to, to leave it all out there on the field and um, and wants to make sure that he leaves things the right way. Yeah, and, and Scott, I I think Henry Bainavalu may be the most taken-for-granted player on the team. I didn't think there was any way he was coming back with his the way his knees are. His knees are not good mm-hmm. at all. Somebody said the one is just pretty much bone-on-bone. Bone. Yep. And I didn't anticipate him coming back, but he's just been a stalwart out there, and he's, uh, he hasn't missed much time at all. He's played every game. and Well, having Nate Kalepo uh, be able to play – uh, right guard has been able to keep the wear and tear off of Bainabalo's legs too, and that's been huge. Um, in that in that Oregon State game, I think Kleppo played the entire third fourth quarter, um, along with uh, Mateo Mele. So um, the nice thing is you're getting reps for younger guys who are going to now be the, your your heir apparents at those positions. But um, yeah, I I mean 
I agree, Kim. I didn't think he was coming back. I don't think anybody around the program thought he was coming back. And, and speaking of the heir apparent angle, which is a really good segue right into this, I asked him specifically about the Peyton Henry arc, redemption arc, because he'd be one of the few guys that would have been there and remembered it. What I had forgotten was is that he actually played in that game. Sophomore season, 2018, he was in there. Do you know what the first play he was that was in there? Because essentially he admitted that he, he played in that game in the same role that what we're seeing with Kieran Hatchett right now. Kind of an auxiliary tackle, extra guy out there. Very first play that he was out there was the Savon Ahmed reverse touchdown. Yeah. And he talked about that, and, and it was a good conversation with Henry. Well, the thing with Henry, um, you know, as bad as his knee is right now, boy, down the road, he's a, if you've never met Henry, he's a big dude. Was yeah. he 6'5"? Yeah, at least yeah. 6'5". Yeah, but he'll, he'll probably do the, the Henry Roberts you know, no. immediately. <laughs> uh-uh. he, you don't he's think a, so? He's an Islander, dude. Well, <laughs> those guys There's are a lot big. of guys. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was okay. he three twenty? Uh, yeah, I would bet. I would bet Henry if he if he stays in shape. I mean, he could be like me and go way up in size. But if if Henry, um, you know, eats right and get stays in shape, he's probably six six two seventy. I would I would think in that range. Coolest hair on the team? Does he have it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, There's a lot of cool hair. I give him I give him cool hair, cool hair awards. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, just we also had a chance to talk to coaches and uh, real interesting conversation. If people, well, are, no, you're, you're forgetting a player. Who's that? We talked to Peyton Henry. Yeah, talked and to who Peyton. Did, who he got a text from. Well, yeah, he got a co- he got a text from Chris Peterson. Yeah, and for a Chris Peterson, okay, granted, I know he's only what three years removed from from yep. the team. But for Chris Peterson to go out of his way to send a text, besides that, he's the only one who picked uh, Oregon in the in the pregame show, right? Jordan Spieth. Well, but that was on ESPN. That was on ESPN, yeah. 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 So, but still, I but, thought that was yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah, I know. I wonder what Jordan Spieth ended up his the week at. They well, always show my uh, yeah my 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 pet theory on that was is because his caddy is from Tacoma, mm-hmm. Michael Greller. Oh yeah, and so maybe it was a nod to him or. Maybe he's so tight into the Texas program, he just wanted to pick Washington because of Sark. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Either but, way. But um, as far as Peyton Henry, I mean, he just was like, for him to go out of his way to send me a text like that, it just meant so much to me. And, and you know, Peterson was through, went through the ringer with him because he brought him on as a walk-on, yeah. ended up putting him on scholarship eventually, yeah. and then uh, left, and Henry is kind of, had to go through a lot of things since he's been at the University of Washington. And unfortunately, a lot of people only remembered him for his miss at Oregon in 2018. 18, yeah. And now I think a lot of people are forgetting that and just focusing on what he did yesterday, uh, on Saturday. Well, talking to Henry about that, you know, Henry Bainabalu, he was like, hey, if people want to think about that 2018 game, that's fine. He goes, I just don't think that's what people are going to be thinking about anymore. They're going to be thinking about the, the make and, and the win and, and how big that was. Well, it's also interesting talking to Peyton Henry, and he's the same guy. Yeah. He, he's got that Kalen DeBoer mentality yeah. where he's just pretty even keel. Yeah, that's, I just, that's, that's what you want out of I a just, kicker, though, I right? just did my job. I yeah. just did my job. Ice in the well, veins. And you asked him about you, because you were the one who did the interview. Um, you asked him about, um, was he thinking about it when he went out there? And he goes, no. It wasn't even in the back of my mind. I just went out there and did my job. Every kick is a different kick. Well, the other interesting stat I got from Tony Castricone, over the past two years, from 45 yards and in, including points after touchdowns, 95 of 96. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's a huge number. It is. 
95 of 96 for every kick. But outside of 40, and that, there's a lot of kicks that happen in the 40s. He's been much better these last couple of years, but he was not very good with but that. But even just, if you think about it, even what happens if you block, get a kick blocked? Yeah. Well, that, that accounts for that one right there, but that's never really happened. Yeah, I mean, so he's been as steady as you could ask for in the yeah. past. I mean, if you can get those kind of numbers, if they can get those kind of numbers out of a kicker next year, yeah. they're good with that. Yeah, that's, and, that, and that's, that's probably Grady Gross. Gross. Yeah, it's probably Grady Gross. The guy that everyone's ripping on for not being able to kick it in the end zone. Well, and they even said, I mean, so he kicks it out of bounds, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? I mean, how hard is it to put in the middle? But the problem is they have him, they want him to directional kick it. And because of the way they said there wasn't a lot of wind, but it was really tough getting it out of, getting it deep yeah. on that side. Well, it was coming, it must have been coming out of yeah. the west. Well, the Oregon kicker. But he did it twice. Yeah. Twice, yeah. yeah the and Oregon kicker was being, try, he was obviously being asked to do the same thing. Yeah. And and so it's sometimes it just happens, man. These guys, even if he's got a strong leg, sometimes they're just not going to hit it right. Yeah. Um, for those who just read the quotes, you're missing out unless you're listening to the audio. And the conversation I had with uh, Jamarcus Shepard is there's some there's some true gold in there um, talking about the uh, uniform uh, choice. And we talked a little bit of that with Coach DeBoer, but Jamarcus Shepard really went in depth on that where. Um, it sounded like Oregon was trying to screw with them a little bit. And um, when they um, announced their uniform combination that they thought Washington was originally going to wear their uh, gold pants and um, white tops. Now, I don't know if it was the conventional white tops that they've worn the on the road, or the, the purple, purple, or if it was the white with the gold. But when they saw that, that they thought that there wasn't going to be enough contrast. So they actually had to go to the league and uh, have that approved to wear the all-purples and to get that contrast. And when I asked Jamarcus Shepard if he thought it made a difference, I mean, he was pretty adamant. Absolutely, he thought it made a difference. And some people I also talked to said, eh, Washington was kind of making a little bit of a recruiting statement down there, too, wearing the all-purples. Well, so. I, I wonder what the deadline is for those things. Once, once you find out kind of what, you know, it, to me it reminded me again of ASU. It's like, so if you're wearing a spe- – I mean – so, again, if you're Oregon, what is considered a, a normal home or away, whatever? Nothing is compared normal. To, like, like ASU, when they wore those desert colors, that was clearly a different thing from what they normally wear. They're maroon and yellow or whatever. But Oregon, it seems like they change things so often, every week. What is considered a normal? Would it, would it be the regular green? Would it be the highlighter green? Would it be... The black, whatever. I mean, I remember in the 2016 game, they wore the the webfoot things, which I think they must have probably burned as soon as that game was over. Well, yeah. But what's I mean, what is considered a standard Oregon uniform? I have no idea now. I mean, they don't even know what a standard yeah. one is. But it, what is it? With Jamarcus again, just it's not so much what he said. But it was the tone and the emotion that he said that makes all the difference in the world that you're not going to be able to capture on just yeah. reading the text. So I highly, highly, highly recommend everybody listen to that because he also talked about um, you know being takers versus receivers as well as um, when he um, when Taj Davis made the catch and he pretty much broke that down. It was real interesting, uh, you know, his conversation with Taj Davis on that catch. So highly, highly, highly. Recommend I would have been curious to, to see if he felt. Jalen McMillan would have made that play against Christian Gonzalez like in week one. 
Yeah. You know, because this, this taker's mentality has been something that's really been fostered throughout the entire season. But I'm wondering if that's a play that they make well, in week one compared to now. Well, what's interesting about that play with Taj Davis is I'm on the sidelines and the way the coaches get out sometimes, I get a little bit blocked, right? So when that play was made, I saw Jalen McMillan out uh, near the sidelines, and I saw Panix throw it, and it went way over McMillan's head. And I thought he was throwing it out of bounds, so I kind of looked away, and all of a sudden, I, saw, I see Taj Davis running by me. I thought he threw it out of bounds mm-hmm. at the angle I had because I couldn't see Taj, but yeah. he ran right by me, and yeah, he was getting close to the sidelines, which he talks about yeah. as well. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I haven't seen the the Taj stuff yet, but um, yeah, the, I mean it. You, what else more can be said about it? I mean, talk about it being a whole shot. I mean, you watch it, somebody freeze-framed it, and, and that he had such a small window to throw that ball in, and he puts it right on the money so that Taj doesn't even have to break stride. Just catches it and goes. And yeah. also, also real interesting talking to Coach Inge, um, and he said with Ty Thompson going in there, they knew that you know he had the feet to run, but he said we were going to – force him to throw the ball Mm -hmm. and he pretty much said on the Alex Cook play we knew what that play was we knew what it was you mean Knicks yeah the Knicks play they knew what it was so um, interesting talking to uh, you know coach Inge about that and then also talk to him a little bit I don't know if people remember this but on that final drive of Oregon uh, Javion Green He's lucky he didn't get a personal foul for hitting the guy out of bounds. It was oh, yeah. close. No, it was. It, it, it would was not close. have been surprised if it, they had it, called one. And, and it, he, was, it was. It was late. Yeah, it was right in front of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was right in front of Husky Betts. He goes, "Yeah, they saw it up close and personally." So I'm glad. Good. You know what? I thought that that ref crew for the Pac-12. I I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think that was one of the best ref games. You didn't notice him. Yeah. Well, it's the one where it's because the lead official isn't. Domineer in the head like Mothershed or some of those other yeah. guys where it's like they just yeah. I don't know what their I don't know what well, their motivation but just, is but, but I mean uh, the Pac-12 normally throws a flag on that play yeah and yeah. they didn't and I was shocked I was and then I started too. to think back I started to think back and I'm like I haven't seen one call yet where I've disagreed with with the or with the, the fact that they just they didn't call a lot of holding calls and I think yeah. they were letting a lot of things go between the tackle and the tackle box which is fine because, again, the coaches won't care one bit if it's called or not called as long as it's consistent. That's all they care about. I also talked to Coach Inge about the dividends that game is going to pay down the roads for a guy like J.B. on Green. Yeah. I mean, he got a lot of playing time in a big game. As a- no, it, it will because he's played in a big game now. He, he was beat several times yeah. in that game. Only got only – got, uh, really hurt by it once on the long touchdown but and on that play there was another guy open down the middle too yeah. <laughs> so it was really whoever Knicks wanted to throw the ball to yeah and I talked to Juice Brown this week about the same thing I mean he talked about you know they're just their Knicks guys up I mean there was really no no question about it I mean no Irvin no Banks um you know they're they're just having to you know get going and, and the veterans were a huge part of keeping those guys' spirits up because when you have that player over the top with Franklin scoring on green, um, that's where, you know, if, if it's if it's a true freshman like Javon, it's easy to go right in the tank. And for them to come back and to play the way that he played uh, and, to, and to really kind of grind through the win, 
um, really says something about him, and it, and it will be a big thing. Now, the third down play with Knicks and, and AC, I mean, I asked Juice specifically about that, what you know, if they saw something and saw it coming, because I told him, I said, you know, if you go back and look at the TV copy, everyone in the world thought that that's what Bo Nix was going to do. And he goes, well, I don't, I don't know. You'd have to ask Alex about that, you know, if, if, if he saw that coming or not. And I said, well, we did. But I said, from your guys' standpoint, I mean, you changed things up because he, he did say flat out. He said, if you looked earlier in the game when Nix was, was taking, that, um, taking the ball, um, they had Mish Powell in the spot where Alex Cook was in on that third down play. Mm-hmm. So they clearly made an adjustment on that. Well, there was a timeout before that call, too. So Yeah, but they made an adjustment, clear adjustment, because wasn't, that wasn't the case. They hadn't schemed that way earlier in the game. You had a chance to talk to Coach Huff? Yeah, yeah. He just mainly talked about uh, Henry uh, Benavalu, um Corey Luciano, and Jackson Kirkland and how this is the, his last game with them. And I, I'm not going to say he got emotional because offensive line coaches aren't supposed to cry, but uh, I could tell. He was starting to feel it a little bit. Just this is my last time I'm going to be able to coach these guys at Husky Stadium, and he he's just he says it's really hard. Senior day is really hard um, because these guys have meant so much to this program, and and they've done so many things. They've been through battles. We've all been through battles together. I mean, if you think about it, I think I'm pretty sure Bainavalu and Jackson Kirkland yeah, were in class. his, but were in his first class. Yeah, been yeah. Because if I remember correctly. That um, Strouser was the one who offered uh, Jackson, and they signed him, and then he left. He went to Denver, and Scott Huff got brought in, and so Scott had these two guys, two huge guys, but very inexperienced and very raw guys that he's had to work with. And so he's been through the, the wars with these guys. Yeah, and you also had a chance to talk to Lee Marks. Yeah, Lee Marks. Talked a little bit about Wayne Talapapa, what he's been going through, how the team has embraced him. Um, For those who don't know, tell me. Yeah, well, there, um, there was a shooting at the University of uh, Virginia. A former player came back and killed three current players. As, and wounded it doesn't like, sound like they knew each other at no, all. No, w- wounded like one or two others. Um, I don't know if it was football players that they wounded, but there's three dead football players. And I'm sure Wayne knew everyone. Oh, he absolutely did, because they were all um, sophomores or older, so he knew most of those guys. So just tough for him. But, you know, Mark said, you know, he's mature. If you think about it, Wayne Talapapa is 24 years old because he took a two-year mission and then spent four years at, and I think he did a red shirt, and then four years at, uh, or three years he did four years there, but three years of playing time at, uh, so he's like 24, 25. Is, is, is he take, he's taking graduate classes here, Yeah, he? he is. He yeah. is, definitely. So, um, yeah, that I mean, it's just the, 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 the team has surrounded him and, you know, put their arms around him and, and helped him get through this. And um, just talked about, you know, how the team's playing. I asked about the hole that Wayne Talapapa had to run through. Apparently, Talapapa came back to the sidelines after that for the after the big touch, the very first touchdown, and he said, "Coach, you could have ran through that." (laughs) So, so um, he said, "Yeah, it was very well blocked." But he goes, "We have to take advantage of those things, and we did, and that's what our job is." And and so I asked about the I asked about you know missing out on fourth or third down a couple times, really third and shorts, and he said, "You know." He goes, there's really not any frustrations because we won the game. 
but he says there there were missed opportunities, and those are things we're coaching against right now. Anything else from the coaches on Wednesday? No, just um, again, like I said, I spoke to, to Coach Brown and and um, and just you know got the sense, general sense of just kind of what they're going through now. And he said Colorado's going to be you know you can look at their record and you can come to you know draw conclusions all you want. He goes, but they're probably about as multiple as, as in terms of schemes and in terms of formations and what the pictures that they're going to show us as any team that we've seen this year. So he goes, they're going to they're going to try to scheme us. They're going to try to get us out of position, and we need to come ready. And um, you know, and he also talked about his seniors because you know, Perryman and Cook are the are the guys in his room, and and um, talked a little bit about what Senior Day is going to mean for those guys, and and um, and just. You know, trying to also get the the new guys up to speed as well. Quick word from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit of recruiting. There's a little bit of stuff going on in recruiting, as well as some basketball. And uh, do we have a game time yet on Washington State? That and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. It's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eckland. Recruiting. What's going on, Scott? (laughs) Um, There's a little bit. Um, There's going to be a couple official visitors on campus this weekend. Um, one is one we've known about for a while. He's a commit. Devin Bryant, the linebacker out of St. John Bosco, he's coming up for his official visit. Hadn't taken one. Honestly, when he told me, yeah, I'll be up there for my official, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize you hadn't taken it because I thought everybody who had committed had taken their officials. But Keith Re- uh, Reynolds has also not taken it, and I, he might be up this weekend too. Well, ironically so, with- enough, I don't know if you guys saw this, but he had, a, he had an Instagram post where it said he was committed to Washington, and I got a little confused. Because okay. it, it happened literally in the last 24 hours or so. Oh. And it was like, um, aren't you, haven't you been committed for like a long time? Yeah. But and there's also a JUCO DB who is supposed to be up this weekend, Channing Canada out at uh, Trinity Valley down in Texas. He's supposed to come up and visit. Hey, real quick, um, with Bryant, same high school as the offensive lineman. That, defensive lineman. Defensive lineman that decommitted? That UW dropped, yep. Okay. I'll say decommitted. You can say drop, yeah. but I'll say uh, decommitted. Let's just say it was a mutual parting of the ways. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's just say that. And and nothing bad. It's no, just no. that he did not have a good senior year. Well, I wouldn't even say it's that he didn't have a good senior year. He just wasn't starting on a team now that's loaded, but isn't starting. And um, I think Washington wanted a little bit more more from the guys that they're going to bring in because they don't have a lot of spots. Over under on how many high school or JC guys that they bring high in. High school or JC? Over under. Three. Yeah, I'm going to go two. Okay. I'm going to go two, and if they're going to bring in a guy, it's got to be, yeah. they're going to have to be a special. Tayshaun Lyons is back in, in, on campus this weekend. Now, he's already taken his official. He's coming up to watch uh, game atmosphere. So Over under on how many guys they bring in from the transfer portal. Four or five. And that's Yeah, I'm thinking five. And I, I'm guessing three of those might be corners. I don't think there's going to be that many. Yeah, All I right. think at least two. Two seems more likely, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just one. Yeah. If, they, if they get, let's say they get Channing Canada, who's coming up on his official, they're not going to take two more portal guys. They'll well, it just seems like it would be like for like numbers, right? So depending on what their attrition is, yeah. that's the number that you'd want to fill. Yeah, my guess says keep an eye on corners, a running back, and maybe a defensive lineman. And maybe a tight end. Yeah, maybe a tight maybe end. Maybe a linebacker. Yeah, and maybe an edge. I mean, there's a lot of different guys that they. That, I mean, the edge spots are interesting because Anthony James is projected as a defensive lineman by two four seven, and he told me he's been playing a lot of three tech this year. Okay. So he's not. I I looking at his frame, I don't see an edge guy. I see a defensive tackle, or a or a defensive end. Is he just know, like a, maybe a bigger version of like a Voy Tanufi? Yes. Yeah, he's kind of that guy. Um, Jacob Lane currently is the only edge in this class, and my, Washington might want to find an edge, but they, they've got a lot of young guys, so they're losing Jeremiah Martin. A lot of people think that they're going to lose ZTF. I just don't know if I see that. He's not ready, but he might go be off done. to play. He might be just done. I would, I, I would certainly think Trice is a bigger yeah. option to run than, than ZTF. And see, I don't, I don't think – I think Trice has one more year, knows he needs one more year. Um, Savelle Smalls is there, but he he's entering his fourth year now. He'll be a fourth year junior, right? Or, yeah. yeah. Or whatever. Um, and then um, and then you've got um, and then you've got Maurice Himes. You've got um, Afoa As- Asuai. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Sakai. Him, yeah, Sakai. And I'm trying to think if there's any other edge guys that were oh Holtzclaw. Holtzclaw. Lance. So, Lance. so they've got some young guys but none of them are proven by the way Lance is getting bigger I don't yeah, know if you he, know when he walked by me today he's, yeah, bigger. he's getting I. bigger but yeah. is he going to be more like do you think he's more like a Josh Shirley type guy when it comes down Holtzclaw? to it Yeah. Or I Trav- think he's got this size or, or Travis Feeney eh. I think you want him to be more like Travis Feeney because Feeney could play the run a little bit better than Ship- Shirley could but Man, Shirley was so well. Shirley good was a one trick pony, but yeah. he was really good. But he was trick. really good at that one trick. Yeah. We do not have a game time for the Washington State for the Apple Cup. They chose to take the six day window. All indications there's it's either going to be the twelve or seven game. And, the two. and who here between the three of us are voting that it's probably going to be seven thirty? It's probably going to don't, be. Don't don't say go with your heart and what you want it to be. My go gut, with what your brain yeah, says. Yeah, my gut says seven. My gut says seven thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if Oregon beats Utah this weekend. Then I suspect that they're going to have they're going to want the Oregon Oregon State game to be the twelve thirty or one o'clock yeah. game. And if that's the case, then the Apple Cup gets relegated, and yeah. that's and it's because of Washington State. What's the four o'clock? Is that the USC UCLA? 
No, that's this weekend. Oh, that's this weekend. What? What's the four o'clock game for Pac-12? Maybe the maybe Stanford. Is it Stanford Cal? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Stanford and Cal don't play. Cal I'd Cal have to go back UCLA. and look. I, but those, there's been some that have already been scheduled, and I forget which ones. That's those ridiculous. Have been, so. yeah. Quick basketball update: uh, game tonight against Cal Baptist. Uh, saw a little bit of them the night before last against CSUN. I don't even know who CSUN is. Cal State Northridge. That's yeah, maybe, but yeah, um, but uh, uh, Noah Williams looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, Keon Brooks sounds like he practiced on Sunday, did not play on Monday. I don't know if we'll see him tonight or not. My gut says just go ahead and hold him out another game and then um, play him against Fresno State. I mean, they next want week. they want they may want to get him a few minutes before going on the road because those next couple games are going to be pretty important games. Yeah, it's going to be interesting if we see the Twin Towers like we did um, on Monday night and see if we is that see what you're calling them now. The two headed mo- the Twin Towers are the two headed monsters. What Hopkins calls them. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how I like much Twin Towers. Though, yeah. So that made a difference. And then uh, I've been talking about Keon Manyfield. I've been telling you guys for on a long time that guy is just. You know, some people, you know, compare him to Isaiah Thomas. And I say that the difference between Keon Menafield and Isaiah Thomas is Isaiah Thomas worked himself into that kind of player he was because he's just nonstop work. I think Keon Menafield is a little bit different. He's just got a little bit of gifted to him where he's just got that knack. Um, you know, so he's got – I think he's a lot more talented than Isaiah. I think Isaiah, you know, it's hard to beat his work ethic, but it's going to be interesting to watch Keon Menafield because, boy, he just seems to have a little bit of that it factor going on. Well, John Rothstein, who's one of the big national analysts out there, you know, he takes the first few weeks and looks at the non-conference guys and kind of watches some of these, you know, games that maybe the normal person wouldn't normally see and – you know, he, he just goes, there are some guys out there that you buy stock on that you just didn't know about. You know, these are the ones that kind of come out of the woodwork. And he's already said, Keon Manyfield, buy stock now. So that's a pretty strong um, validation for what for what his potential could be. We talked about Kalen DeBoer and Peyton Henry just having that even keel. And uh, Keon Brooks is quite a bit like that, too. He doesn't seem to change. He doesn't get real high. He doesn't get real animated. Well, you he doesn't put the, put his head you down. put the video out when they had the – when they had the technical issues, oh yeah, um, against Utah Tech, he was and, doing the Russell Wilson imitation. Yeah, he was he was he was just out there kind of doing his own thing, kind of in high his knees. own head and high knees. Yeah, yeah. and then so uh, yeah, he's just you know a true freshman. He's just a young kid. He doesn't know any better. He's not he's not burdened with with uh, wisdom yet. So uh, he's just going out there and using his God given abilities. And so far, it's worked out really really well. I mean, twenty six points in the last game. Uh, not bad for a true freshman. Well, the other thing I noted, you know, and I talked about was, you know, when the shot clock is down at under eight, uh, Jamal Bay and P.J. Fuller have no hesitation whatsoever in passing the ball to Manifield. None. Yeah, but you would, which, but you'd like to see your veterans take control of that a little bit. But Terrell so Brown, does that reflect? Does Terrell that ref- Brown's not passing yeah, it. Yeah, but does that? Well, that's right. But does that reflect? On Menifield, or does that reflect more on Fuller and Bay? Because to me, you would you would want your veterans to have the ball in that moment. Um, because to be honest with you, he to me he creates. Yeah. I don't think he's a spot up guy, even though he's shown the ability to hit the three. To me, Corn Johnson's more of the spot up guy. If you're gonna if you're gonna play a one and a two, 
um, right now. Right, right now, who do you want? With Noah, with Noah out, that's Corin's going to end up having to fill that role a little right, bit. Right now, game on the line, clock shot running down. Who do you want? Who's who do you want to have the ball right now? Well, I would say Keon Brooks, but if he's not available, then you you definitely put it in Menifield's hands because one of the things you can do is that he can go the lane and then he can simply lob it up to one of the Twin Towers if they're if they're in the game. Because you know Kepnang's going to flush it, and you would expect Mia, if he gets into a good position, he should be able to flush it too. Wrap it up, Scott Eckland. Uh, good week uh, for the Huskies, man. I, I, I mean, they've gotten so much national press. I've seen them on College Football Live. I've seen them on I, – I, they talked about them on – uh, the uh, what do they call it? The oh, audible, all the, with, all the podcasts, yeah, yeah all the everywhere. podcasts and everything about about how big of a win it was. Um, and I, you know, for a long time, Husky fans have had to root for the team that played Oregon to to beat Oregon, so they wouldn't make it to the playoff or whatever it was. And this year, it's Washington being that team, and so Washington fans are going to revel in this for a long time. I actually I, I texted with two. Pel- Two player, co- two players' parents. One was a current player. One was a former player. And they and I said, "Hey, I'm watching the replay of the game right now." And they both sent back, um, "I've watched it three times already." So yeah. I don't know what's taking you so long, but um, good week weekend for the Huskies. Can they get focused against Colorado? I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll be focused and come out and ready to play. Um, and it sounds like the coach has been pretty happy with the response of the players. You know, watching the game replay three times takes a lot of time. Unless you have a setup like mine. I just put it on all three TVs. Yeah. <laughs> so. How does that speed things up? <laughs> well, he's, watch, he's watching it three times, but... Each one's delayed. At, at the same time. <laughs> oh, I see. Like literally yeah. back to back to yeah. back? Yeah. Okay. It's like the one guy says his wife didn't understand why, and I said you could just stop just there. Just stop right there. Just I was going to say, there. I think, did, did I see somewhere on the boards where someone knows someone else on the Alabama team, and they were watching the game on the bus back or something? And they were actually rooting for Washington. And, I thought that was really interesting. And one thing that I also heard um, from a guy who's pretty involved with recruits in the area was that when Washington, when they heard that Washington won the game, like kids were just pumping their fists and excited. These are, and these are recruits. These aren't guys who are just normal players. These are recruits. Yeah, yeah and this is why I really caution fans as excited as they should be, and I don't. I don't mean this to temper enthusiasm because I think you should still be fired up about a win like this. This is going to this is going to reap the rewards from the 2024 class on down. This is not, not about 2023. No. This is not about what's going to happen in the next month. Most of those kids have decided already. Yes, most of those guys. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I think a lot of there might be a lot of fans out there that think, "Oh, this is going to help them turn a big time recruit or something like that." It may. I'm not I'm not saying that can't happen. But I'm saying where they're gonna where they're gonna really feel the rewards of this is going down the line. I, I talked to Brandon Huffman uh, this week, and I, I asked him if you know how things have been going. And he goes, "It's good for me. This lap, it's great because I only have one four star in my region who isn't committed somewhere." And guess who that is? Wide receiver Tayshawn Lyons, yeah. who is visiting Washington this weekend. Yeah. So. Um, he said, "He said it's you know he goes I'm it's pretty easy for me I don't have a lot of big time kids that are that are still unrecruit uh, are uncommitted." Yeah, wrap it up, Chris. Yeah, I just I just think that it's important to understand, and, and I think that this is something that I feel pretty strong about that. You know, the senior night comes at a great time for them because right on the heels of such an emotional win, coming back and knowing that you have to prepare for a team that's one and nine. 
I just don't get the sense that this team is going to let the seniors down. No. I just don't get I, – I just think that things are so tight. And the seniors won't let them let it down. And the seniors won't let them. And so I think it just – the timing of this game is great for Washington. Not, not necessarily because they need a breather or something like that, although there are a bunch of banged-up guys. I mean, Alex Cook said himself he had a tough time getting off that plane because there's a lot of guys that are banged up. And, I mean, they're, like, physically getting off the plane. Um, but, you know, I think it comes at a good time. Hopefully if they can get out to a big lead – they can rest a lot of those guys for the Apple Cup, which I think would be huge as well. So I think there's a lot of benefits going into this game and the way that it works out in the time frame. But in just talking to the players and coaches this week, it's just it was fun to get their perspectives on a win like that because wins like that don't happen very often, and we've seen it. I mean, we've talked. A lot of people were talking about what was the best win before that was probably the Apple Cup, um, the snow game back in '18. Before that, maybe the Stanford game in 16. Um, you know, maybe one of the Pac-12 title games. You know, something like that. But, you you know, they're just – they don't come around all that often. And to be able to really bask in that and to really talk to these guys and get their full perspectives on what it means for them, not only going forward, but what are they going to think about maybe 10, 20, 30 years from now has been really, really cool to talk to them about. Quick question, just real quick. Don't explain. Just answer the question. Will we see a backup quarterback on Saturday, and at what point? Yes, third quarter. Chris Fetters? Um, end, end of third quarter. Okay. Okay, yes, I'll, I'll agree. End of third quarter. I was going to say, I, would, I was thinking leaning more quarter, like beginning of the fourth quarter. Because, right. I mean, typically, even depending on how far it is, I, I still think that they would, would want to make sure – that they get three quarters of work in with sharp. most of those guys. So, most of those guys. So we're in one of the back rooms back in Heck Ed, just doing our podcast, and we got Mike Vorrell over there trying to trying to work and having to listen to us. Any comments, Mike? Anything you want to add? You mispronounced my last name. It's uh, Vorrell. It's Vorrell, thanks very much. Uh, last time I'm on your show. I thought it was Vorrell. <laughs> it can be for you, Scott. Mike Vorrell. V. For you, though. Mike V. Mike V. <laughs> viral. Mike Viral. Mike Viral. There we go. Yeah. Let's get it viral. <laughs> millennial. Anyways, Colorado coming up and then Wazoo, and we'll see where Washington winds up for a bowl game. So, uh, Do we have any any early thoughts about a bowl? Uh, Uh, I'm thinking Alamo. You're not not reaching for the stars and going Rose Bowl? I just, so much has to happen for them to go to 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 the Rose Bowl. Sure. I have a hard hard time seeing it. I am cool with San Diego. I am cool with Dallas, Texas. So, and so my feeling is, cool. so what if some people are saying so, Cotton Bowl. I so didn't what, really what if, know if, that they, was if a, Washington was able to, to defeat all the odds and, and get to the Rose Bowl or, or get to the championship game and then lose to like USC, for instance, would they would that get them in the Rose Bowl? No. Well, it depends because if USC, because USC, from what I saw, Washington can only play USC in the title game, right? Because of all the things that have to happen. That's right. So. Um, and you that would mean USC. UCLA probably, is their biggest. USC would right have now. one loss at that point, right. assuming assuming they would have one loss at that point. Yeah. Then then USC would go to the the um, championship or the CFP, and that does not include the Rose Bowl this year. Correct? That's what I'm saying. That's yeah, what I'm so, saying. So, so yes, next, that's the only way that they would do it. Yeah, not going down that rabbit hole. So yeah, just not that, there's way too much. Yeah. that has to happen. I, I somebody some although people, if people if people really want to break this down, you want USC to beat UCLA. And you want Oregon to beat Utah. Can't go there. Because yeah. because Washington has to have the teams that they don't play this year lose. have at least one of them lose. Yeah. So the thing the thing is, 
um, some people have said the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, well, why not? And I, I didn't know Washington was out, was possible. Cotton, Cotton, Cotton Bowl was the site of, of arguably the biggest rainstorm I've ever yeah. seen in my entire life. But it life. wasn't the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, it was. It was the original Cotton. It was oh. the game wasn't the Cotton Bowl, but it was in the it Cotton was Bowl. In the Cotton. Yes, yeah. so it was in the stadium. Yeah, just, and didn't you have a tornado, tornado. warning? Yes. Oh. oh, it was ridiculous. I'll just never they had forget. a shelter in place. When they put us in the basement, and I looked yeah. at the guy and said, "How bad is this?" And he just looked at me, stone faced, and goes, "Not good." Yeah. <laughs> oh no! And we went out. We went out to the concourse after we were able to actually get out of the room we were in, and it's coming down like I have never well, seen before. Well, the best part, Chris, is when we were doing post game. Everybody's phone went off. Everybody's because the tornado, tornado emergency warning. Everybody's phone went off. Like everybody's, so it was pretty crazy. So I'm down for Texas. I'm down for Texas. I'm down for San Diego. So Alamo Bowl, Cotton Bowl, San Diego, or. Uh, Holiday Bowl or and, and and Cotton Bowl's in Dallas, right? Yeah, because yes. apparently I think the number one Texas barbecue joints in Fort Worth are just outside. Please, please, no El Paso. Please, no El Paso. Sun Bowl. I don't. They would have to. I think they please. would have to almost lose both games. Please, no to finish. This don't been, speak that into existence. Chris. This tra- this year travel. I have traveled so much. Well, I've let's put it. Hey guys, so much. I'm going to put this out there. I am going to put this out there. If they lose to Colorado, they deserve El Paso. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. I, that, I, I will put that out there for the record. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's call it good. Let's call it good. Hey, uh, thanks for tuning in. For all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells on Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund and Mike V over in the corner. Go dogs. <laughs>